Sports Fancy Advice, Betting Advice, Some History, and the Academy Awards themselves. I'm your host, John Richards of RedCarpetRosters.com. Let's get to it. The SAG Awards came and gone. Everything, everywhere, all at once broke records with four wins, including the big one, Best Ensemble. Kihu Kwan won Best Supporting Actor, which wasn't a surprise for anyone. Michelle Yeoh beat out Kate Blanchett, which is barely a surprise. Jamie Lee Curtis, though, was a bit of a surprise to win over Angela Bassett and Carrie Condon, even if I wasn't too surprised. Best Actor went to Brendan Fraser for The Whale, not too much of a surprise, over Austin Butler and Elvis and Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Inna Sharon. Top Gun Maverick took home the Best Stunt category. Ah, come on, Academy. When are you going to add Best Stunt Coordination? It's long overdue. At the Costume Designers Guild, Catherine Martin of Elvis took home the coveted Best Period Costume Design, the category that correlates most closely with the Academy Award. Shirley Carrada of Everything Everywhere All at Once, and another example of overperformance at Guild Awards, won over Ruth E. Carter of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Up until now, it was largely considered a two-horse race between Catherine Martin and Ruth E. Carter, with many thinking Ruth E. Carter was the frontrunner, especially after Oscar win for Black Panther four years ago. Shirley Carrada winning puts her in the race to Oscar gold. But what it really does is cement Catherine Martin as the clear frontrunner for the Academy Award. Jenny Egan of Glass Onion won Best Contemporary. The Motion Picture Sound Editors, MPSE for short, Golden Reel Awards handed out wins to a different film for each of their categories. The big winner is for Sound Editing Effects and Foley, which went to Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun has always been the favorite to win the Oscar, and this just confirms it. Other awards went to the Banshees of Inisherin for Dialogue and ADR. ADR stands for Automated Dialogue Replacement, or just recording dialogue and post-production and splice it in later. An unappreciated art. Elvis won in Best Music Editing, no surprise. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio won in Sound Editing for an animated feature, no surprise there. And Goodnight Oppie and Moon Age Daydream were both recognized for sound and documentaries, while Best Sound Oscar nominee All Quiet on the Western Front won for sound editing in a foreign language film, the only Oscar nominee in that category. And the International Film Society critics also announced their winners. Everything Everywhere All at Once has been a juggernaut with critics organizations, so no surprise that they graced it with Best Feature. Not too many surprises in other categories, except for maybe Bones and All writer David Kajganich winning Best Adapted Screenplay. Points are all updated in Red Carpet Rosters Leagues. If you haven't signed up for a league, just head over to redcarpetrosters.com, sign up, and you'll be all set for next film awards season. In the last days leading up to the Oscars, we have nine awards that still need to be doled out in the semifinals. March 3rd today is the Satellite Awards winners. Tomorrow, we have three awards, the Cinema Audio Society Awards, the Independent Spirit Awards, of which I'm a voter, and the USC Scripter Awards. We have four awards on March 5th, Writers Guild of America Awards, American Society of Cinematographers Awards, American Cinema Editors Eddie Awards, and the Guild of Music Supervisors Awards. The last winners of the semifinals is the Casting Society of America Ardios Awards. And then, of course, the championship is March 12th the 95th Academy Awards. All right, how about some Oscar history? In honor of International Women's Month, let's take a look at some milestones that women have accomplished at the Academy Awards. 
Coming on the heels of Black History Month, the first black woman to win an Oscar was Hattie McDaniel for her role in 1939's Gone with the Wind. The next black woman to be nominated for an acting Oscar was 10 years later when Ethel Waters was nominated but did not win for her role in Pinky. The next black woman to win Best Supporting Actress was all the way in 1990, Whoopi Goldberg for her role as Otome Brown in Ghost. Other winners in Best Supporting Actress include Jennifer Hudson, who earned her EGOT this year, EGOT, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, for 2006's Dreamgirls, Monique for 2009's Precious, Octavia Spencer for 2011's The Help, Lupita Nyong'o for 2013's 12 Years a Slave, the newest EGOT winner, Viola Davis, for 2016's Fences, Regina King for 2018's If Beale Street Could Talk, and Ariana DeBose for 2021's West Side Story. Pending is Angela Bassett for Black Panther Wakanda Forever this year. And Best Actress, it's a much shorter list, unfortunately. Halle Berry remains and will remain after March 12th after Danielle Deadweiler and Viola Davis were snubbed for Till and The Woman King, respectively. Halle Berry remains the only Black Actress winner for her role in 2001's Monsters Ball. In 95 years of Academy Awards ceremonies, eight women have been nominated for Best Directing with three winning. The first nominee was Lena Wertmüller for 1976's Seven Beauties. The first winner wouldn't come until 2010 when Catherine Bigelow won for 2009's The Hurt Locker. Chloe Zhao then became the first woman of color to win Best Director for Nomadland and the only year in Oscar history that had two women nominated for Best Director the other being Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Jane Campion later became the first woman to be nominated twice for Best Director, winning her second nomination for The Power of the Dog, after being nominated for 1993's The Piano. The other nominees include Sofia Coppola of Lost in Translation and Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. Even more of a boys' club than Best Directing is the Best Cinematography category, Mandy Walker earned a nomination for her work on Elvis, and if she ends up winning, she will become the first female cinematographer to win an Academy Award. How many nominees predate Mandy Walker? Only two, and those two are recent. Rachel Morrison of 2017's Mudbound and Ari Wegner of 2021's The Power of the Dog. The original score category has gone through several changes throughout Oscars history. But its current form has been in existence since the 72nd Academy Awards. In that time, four women have been nominated, including Rachel Portman twice for The Cider House Rules and Chocolat, Mika Levi, who has since come out as non-binary, for Jackie, and Jermaine Franco for Encanto. And the only winner is Hildor Gunendalder for Joker. Julia Phillips became not only the first woman to be nominated as a producer of a Best Picture, but also won for 1973's The Sting. And lastly, Frances McDormand is not only the first woman, but the first person in history to win the Triple Acting Crown, her Oscars for Fargo, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Nomadland, Emmy for Olive Kittredge, and Tony for Good People while also winning as a producer for Best Picture when Nomadland won Best Picture. And now for some fantasy advice. We're only a few days until the Oscars, which is the championship round. 
As a reminder, Red Carpet Rosters Fantasy Leagues features head-to-head matchups and head-to-head playoffs. Oscar nomination Tuesday is the first round of the playoffs. All the ceremonies between then and the actual Academy Awards are in the semifinals. And Oscar night, March 12th, is the championship. I only have one piece of advice. Get rid of anyone who wasn't nominated. As much as it pains me to drop Charlotte Wells of Aftersun, who has put my team on her back the whole season with gobs of breakthrough points for writing and directing, she won't get me any points in the championship. So, instead of being sentimentally loyal, I'm out for blood. Sure, anyone still left on the waiver wire probably won't get any points, but their chances are better than nothing. There might be a songwriter or two still on waivers. Maybe Diane Warren is out on waivers, and maybe, just maybe, she'll get an actual Oscar win instead of just a nomination. So that would be my first place to check. Check that score, song, sound, VFX category and see if there's any... uh late bloomers there if they're all taken go after the other technical categories and good luck and now for some betting advice a lot of my betting advice is too late i apologize it's a new podcast give me a break just be sure to follow me for next year however if you are following my blog you got some great advice including nabbing jamie lee curtis when she was paying a whopping 12 to 1 odds now she's only paying one half to one, something like that. Nonetheless, let's see if there's any wagers worth making. I'm looking live betting odds on Bovada right now, and I'm not even going to bother with one with categories that you shouldn't bother with either. So let's take a look. Um, I am tempted. I'm not necessarily sold, but I am tempted at Mandy Walker winning Best Cinematography for Elvis. She would become the first female cinematographer to win an Oscar, uh, something that the Academy might be drawn to. She's also paying six and a half to one odds. James Friend is the clear favorite. That's at a minus 600 betting line. James Friend, of course, is the one who shot All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, That's probably going to win. But six and a half one to odds for Mandy Walker is at least tempting. In the best actor race, To me, Brendan Fraser was always the clear favorite. Now he is the betting favorite at minus 185. That's a little steep for me, but if you haven't bet on an actor and you want to, minus 185 is not that bad of a line to do so. Colin Farrell is mildly tempting at plus 1,200. Best Actress, again, after her SAG award, Michelle Yeoh is the betting favorite at must minus 125. Kate Blanchett is not far behind at minus 110, and a rarity among Oscar betting lines is that two actresses in the same category are in the negative territory. I caught Michelle Yeoh when she was not the favorite and when she was in the uh, plus territory, but again, if you haven't bet on Best Actress yet and want to, throw some money behind Michelle Yeoh. For Best Animated Short Film... The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse is the favorite at minus 350. Also coming after that BAFTA win. However, if you look at the animated features, especially Pinocchio and Marcel, they're stop motion. They gear more towards an adult audience. And Ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it is worthy of my bet at plus 1,200. Do I think it's going to win? No. Do I think it has better 
than a chance that the betting line is implying? Yes. So I'm going to go ahead and put a little bit towards Ostrich. Best film editing is a unique choice. Right now, Paul Rogers with Everything Everywhere All at Once is the favorite at minus 200. Now, generally, my threshold for betting is minus 200, so I'm not going to touch that one. But it is almost well known that sound nominations and editing wins are highly correlated. In fact, you have to go back all the way to when The Departed won both Best Feature and Best Film Editing, but The Departed did it without a sound nomination. Every single Best Editing winner from then has a corresponding sound nomination. That means if everything, everywhere, all at once were to win Best Editing for Paul Rogers, eh, that's breaking a lot of history. Instead, Top Gun Maverick is at plus 150. Eddie Hamilton edited that, and he's coming for that Oscar, folks. So make sure you put a unit on Top Gun Maverick to win Best Editing at plus 150. The price is right for that. Best Live Action Short Film. I like to bet on those short films because the odds makers have a hard time making odds for them. We're in rare territory for any category where all five nominees are in the plus in the plus territory. And Irish Goodbye is paying plus 115, and Le Pupil is at plus 125. It's between those two. It's a two-horse race. But an Irish Goodbye is going to win. It has enough heart. It has enough funny moments. It appeals more to the average Oscar voter being more adult-centric. Uh, so I think an Irish Goodbye is going to win this one. And at plus 115, I'm confident in putting uh, throwing some money at it. Best makeup and hairstyling is also interesting. The whale is the second favorite. The reason why Elvis is the first favorite is because Elvis won two Mual awards at the uh, makeup and hairstyling guild. But the whale won the big one, the special effects makeup. That correlates more closely to an Academy win. So the fact that the whale is in plus uh, territory, I'm taking the whale. And best supporting actress, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis have, has moved from, I think at one point she was at plus 1500 or something ridiculous like that. She's not the favorite yet, but she's the second favorite at plus 160. Now, Angela Bassett is still the favorite at plus 130, but Angela Bassett has two things working against her, the Marvel bias and the sequel bias. Whereas Jamie Lee Curtis is the biggest scene stealer of all five nominees. So, if you haven't bet on supporting actress, I'm not wild about the plus 160 line for Jamie Lee Curtis. But if you want to bet on the Oscars and haven't yet, put some money behind Jamie Lee Curtis. And that brings me lastly to best costume design. Ruthie Carter was the favorite until she got snubbed at the Costume Designers Guild. Now, Catherine Martin is the favorite at minus 140. The fact that Catherine Martin won at the Costume Designers Guild, she's the favorite and the clear front runner for Oscar glory. Minus 140 does not have clear front runner lines on it. So I'm going to go for Catherine Martin. But I will say that Ginny Beaven with Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is paying at plus 2,000. That's 20 to 1. So that means a $10 bet. 
could get you $200. I'm willing to throw a little bit of money there only for the simple fact that Jenny Beaven designed costumes for the only film nominated that is fashion centric. And lastly, there's a, will any host or award presenter be slapped during the show and comedic moments don't count. Yeah. Don't even touch that. The 95th Academy Awards are on March 12th, where 39 feature films and 15 short films were nominated across 23 categories. I watched all 54 films, and before I get into my personal ranking of all 54 films, I must tell you that I'm kind of like the average Oscar voter. I like films while recognizing that as a business, and I like it dark without it being too much of a bummer. In order from worst to first and separated into tiers, nah, you know how tiers work. The worst is closer to the first in that tier than it is in the first in the next tier. Don't overthink it. Here they are. The meh tier. Huh, how did I like these movies? Meh. Number 54, Blonde. Oof, probably my least favorite Oscar nominee of any year, not just this one. It's almost gone to a whole tier by itself. Sheesh. So how much of this is actually fact? Very little from what I can gather. And why is she crying in every scene? And why is she topless so much? And what's with the black and white scenes, especially when the title is a literal color? Ugh, it was such a chore to get through this monstrosity. This film did the unthinkable and made me question two things. One, is it really okay to shut a movie off without finishing it? And two, maybe this Oscar death race of seeing every nominee isn't a good idea after all. <sighs> I will not let this awful piece of trash discourage me. Uh, did I mention I hated this movie? Number 53, how do you measure a year? A filmmaker asking his daughter the same question on her birthday until 18? Oh, that's new. Oh, it's just a cute girl turning into a moody teenager? Nah, nothing new. Number 52, tell it like a woman. I really wish this was better. Number 51, Elvis. Yes, I do have a personal bias against music biopics, but I really don't want to. The exhausting voiceover with the cliche of the talent, finding success, then taking drugs and cheating on the spouse. Ah, barf. Number 50, Evalu. This almost ended up in the okay tier, but I feel like I've seen this before. Number 49, The Flying Sailor. I got more enjoyment from the last sentence saying what the inspiration for the film was. And that spells trouble for the film itself. The okay tier. These movies, if you ask me how they were, they were okay. Number 48, EO. I know, I know. I should have liked it more than I did. Number 47, Les Pupilles. Very cute, but eh, also a little boring. The best part of this film was the nice lady sitting next to me in the theater who was giggling and saying under her breath things like, oh, so cute. Number 46, My Year of Dicks. Cringy, but eh, that's the point. I can't imagine trying to navigate the world as a teenage girl. Number 45, The Sea Beast. Eh, if it was funnier, it'd be in a better tier. Number 44, Bardo, False Chronicles of a Handful of Truths. Yes, self-serving, but vignettes full of symbolism put it in this tier, eh, for better or worse. Number 43, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. Although it felt like someone reading a gallery full of inspirational posters, I can see the value of it for someone who needs to hear its messages. Number 42, Ice Merchants. A nice little study on loss. Number 41, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. I really wanted to like this more than I actually did. But the content is important and worthy of attention. Number 40, Two Leslie. Well acted. Shout out to Mark Marin, But would have appreciated more focus on the downfall. The Good Tier. These movies, if you ask me how they were, yeah, they were good. Number 39, Empire of Light. Mostly forgettable, but I still enjoyed the story. Number 38, Women Talking. The flowery language really appealed to me. Number 37, Argentina, 1985. I will never not like courtroom dramas. Number 36, All That Breathes. Making the connection of the importance of kite birds and that as an allegory to class disparity is done quite well. Number 35, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. A movie that everyone can enjoy? 
and Leslie Manville is magnetic. Number 34. An ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. Very clever. I'd watch a feature-length film of the same concept. Number 33. After Sun. I know. Although many will put this in a better tier, I still enjoy this coming-of-age story. Number 32. Stranger at the Gate. I was trying to really remember the tragedy in Muncie, Indiana, and by the end of this, I was glad I couldn't remember it. Number 31. Close. Sheesh. <laughs> it must be good. It must be tough to be a kid nowadays. Number 30. The Martha Mitchell Effect. A piece of forgotten history. Hey, if a Republican is criticizing their own party, listen. Number 29. The Red Suitcase. Suspenseful short films will always appeal to me. The Great Tear. Number 28. Turning Red. Hey, Pixar doesn't miss. Number 27. Hull Out. Are walruses even real? They don't look like they could be. Despite very little dialogue, another stark reminder of the climate crisis. Number 26. Night Ride. Representation matters, and having that representation in a comedy is even better. Number 25, The Elephant Whispers. As an animal advocate myself, this really struck a chord with me. Number 24, An Irish Goodbye. The highest short film on the list, funny and heartfelt. And as an aside, the short films were exceptionally strong this year. Bravo, short filmmakers. Number 23, A House Made of Splinters. An absolute gut punch of a documentary. Number 22, Navalny. I was so angry, yet inspired after watching this. Number 21, Fire of Love, my favorite doc feature of the year, and not just because it's on my fantasy team. Quirky scientists and love need to be in more movies. A narrative feature in the future for this one? Eh, I'd watch it. Number 20, Glass Onion. Sure, it's not as original as Knives Out, but who doesn't love whodunits? Number 19, Avatar, The Way of Water. Absolutely stunning visuals with an easy-to-follow plotline. Sometimes I just like to be bombarded with beauty. Number 18, The Quiet Girl. This is a master class of show-don't-tell writing. Number 17, The Banshees of Sharon. Martin McDonough somehow is able to consistently make modern fables that seem completely plausible, a sign of a master storyteller. Number 16, Causeway. Brian Tyree Henry is so magnetic in anything he does. Bullet Train would also land in this tier had it somehow got nominated. Number 15, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Again, a movie everyone can enjoy, and the jokes land each time? Yeah, it deserves a spot in the great tier. And number 14, Tar. I really like character studies and think pieces, and this is a film that can be discussed among reasonable people for hours. Moral ambiguity should be in more films, and we've seen that shift more and more in the last 20 years. I support it. Before I get into the awesome tier, these films were ruthlessly snubbed and would be in my awesome tier. The Woman King, Nope, She Said, X, Bodies, 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 and Weird, The Al Yankovic Story. The Awesome Tier. Number 13, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. It's a beautiful film, pure and simple. Number 12, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I like Marvel movies, don't at me. The tribute to Chadwick Boseman hit me, and it was refreshing to see heroes look different than the archetypal heroes of yesteryear. Number 11, Living. Everyone can enjoy this movie, and that is a worth a lot to me. If you're looking for advice on what living actually means, watch this film. And now, the top 10. Number 10, Babylon. I'm on Team Babylon. I love over-the-top movies, and I appreciate the commentary that two thoughts can simultaneously exist in your head. Having gratitude for Hollywood while also recognizing it's a problematic industry. Number nine, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. I cried both times I watched it. I rarely cry during movies, let alone twice. Number eight, The Whale. I appreciate the one-piece set design and 4-3 aspect ratio cinematography. 
emphasizing the size of Brendan Fraser's Charlie. A difficult movie to watch, but I couldn't look away. Number seven, RRR. Oh my God. So ridiculously over the top. I was literally cheering during multiple parts. Plus, it has songs in it. I need to cool off now. Number six, Top Gun Maverick. Spielberg said it saved movies. He might be right. This is what blockbusters should be. Fun, approachable, and face-melting technicals. Number five, The Batman. Cinematographer Greg Frazier and score composer Michael Giacchino got snubbed. This movie doesn't work well without their work. My personal bias, I love Batman and slow burns, so of course this is in the awesome tier. Number four, Triangle of Sadness. Dark comedy, social commentary, bodily functions as the great societal equalizer. Ah, Sign me up. Number three, The Fablemans. Have you heard about this director who never makes bad movies? Steven Spielberg is his name. A master of putting universal themes in any movie, adding a semi-autobiographical entry into his repertoire. Number two, will surprise you. Everything, everywhere, all at once. A frenetically paced movie that still tugs at the heartstrings. Many have tried, few have succeeded. This is one of the few. Number one, all quiet on the Western front. As a big fan of the original Best Picture winner from 1930, I was eager to see a gritty remake, and Edvard Berger's gut-wrenching film did not disappoint. The score and cinematography puts this movie over the top. The first time I heard the I was floored. Yes, All Quiet on the Western Front was my personal favorite, but if I was an Oscar voter, I would vote for Everything Everywhere All at Once just for the simple fact that I want to reward wildly original ideas. More people, including you, need to go see movies from original scripts. Full stop. And in closing, turn on that notification for future episodes of this podcast. Next one will be my predictions for the Academy Awards. Let's see how I do in all 23 categories. This is John with Red Carpet Rosters Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.